Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Live Mike. With Lee Lonsberry, from Utah's Capitol Hill to your schools, Texas, and all the breaking news. Hear it on Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry on KSL News Radio. Welcome to this Monday episode of Live Mike. Great to be back with you. Had a wonderful weekend. I hope the same was true for you. Did a little bit of uh, outdoor recreating, spent some time with the family, uh, even found some time to sit down on the couch, put my feet up, and watch a little bit of television. Not a bad weekend at all. Ate some good food, too. Uh, How about you? Uh, Today on the program, we're going to cover a lot of ground, and we're going to cover, if I'm honest, some difficult topics. We're going to be talking about uh, transgender athletes and the future for them here in the state of Utah. We will also be discussing again the question in St. George regarding Dixie State University. Should the name change? Should it not change? And what's happening right now on Utah's Capitol Hill? And then later on in the program, uh, here's a question I never knew would get so much uh, attention until I found myself right in the middle of a very heated debate about this very issue of how much would you spend to prolong your pet's life? Later on in the program, I'm going to open up the phone lines. I'm going to share with you some personal experiences and ask if you and your family, uh, you know, you, the the spouse, the kids, if you've ever had to sit down and make a difficult decision like that, where the price tag for prolonging Scruffy's life uh, may be outside what was within your reach. And if you have maybe made plans for the future, if you know the medical bills from the veterinarian uh, are this much, well, then uh, it might be a conversation about tape, taking the uh, less expensive and more permanent uh, uh, route. Anyway, that's all coming up later on in the program. Right now, though, I want to jump right into uh, this issue, House Bill 302. It uh, is titled Preserving Sports for Female Students. And uh, on the line, I have the sponsor of this legislation, Representative Kira Berkland, who joins me now. Representative, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, grateful to you for making some time. Uh, my understanding, you were originally scheduled to chat with uh, Dave and Dejanovic earlier in the program, but you got pulled into uh, a meeting regarding this very piece of legislation. Uh, let's let's take a few steps backwards, and if you wouldn't mind uh, just summarizing briefly for folks just coming to the conversation what your piece of legislation would do. So my bill, House Bill 302, helps to define the role of how we can preserve women's sports. Currently in our state, it is a possibility that you could have a transgender female athlete step in and compete against the girls, compete against them for scholarships, for titles, for 
for all kinds of um, opportunities. And and also right now, there's nothing that would prohibit them from playing against them in a contact sport, which poses a significant safety risk for some of our athletes. So my build goal is to set up safety parameters and fairness parameters so that anyone who steps onto the field and has sacrificed so much to be a high school athlete, they have the best and most even playing field to do so. And why why did this come to your attention? Was there a singular issue? Was it a collection of conversations? Was it looking out to what other states had attempted and experienced? Uh, what uh, what made this uh, a priority for you? Well, to be honest, growing up, I was part of a very athletic household. I played basketball. All of my siblings played basketball. All my brothers are, are six foot five and taller. Um, I always noticed that when it came to boys' sports, it was exciting and they were doing it, you know, for the raw competition and to get better and to, you know, compete for scholarships. And then when it came to the women's sports, it was like, oh, that's so cute. They want to get out there and have a fitness opportunity and, and do something fun. And then once I became a high school basketball official some years ago, I realized that not a lot has changed with that. We still view women's sports very different. Now that's a cultural problem and, and this bill doesn't address that. However, what we can address is the fairness issue for women's sports. As a high school basketball coach now, I recognize that a lot of times our female athletes, they get hand-me-down equipment, they get put in the less well-equipped facilities to do their practicing. If there's a varsity boys game and a varsity girls game going on at the same time, the varsity boys game gets center stage. These types of discrepancies need to be addressed, but ultimately a lot of the female athletes, and when I was talking to them over the summer, just said, you know what, we'll take these you know hand-me-down gear we'll take these bad practice times we'll take the the bus that breaks down more often we don't care just make sure our playing field is fair and that's really what trans you know helped me to decide to go forward with this bill it is not a transgender bill it is a women's bill it is pro-women and I think the narrative has been a little bit stolen and that's an unfortunate part of legislation right this this bill is about making sure that women know that they matter and that we respect them enough to provide a fair and safe playing field for them. The, to my understanding, and correct me where I'm wrong, the, the, the bill thus far has passed the House and, uh, and still needs to be you know, heard in uh, on the Senate side. Uh, but it was, I believe, last Thursday announced by Governor Spencer Cox that in its current form, uh, that he'd be unable to support this, unable to to sign it. Have you had interactions uh, with with Governor Cox, and and is this bill moving forward? Yes, yes. We actually, I have had some good conversations with him. And part of the process of running legislation, when when I first reached out to people about doing this, a lot of people said, "No, do nothing, do nothing. This is not a bill that we want to address right now. Nope, nope, nope. Just don't budge. Don't do anything about it." Well, that wasn't okay with me. I feel like. As lawmakers, our responsibility is to get ahead of issues, to make sure we we make a clear path for those who want to participate. So I created this bill with the help of um, some other states who are going to be running similar legislation, and I just put it out there. Now people are wanting to come to the table and compromise, which is wonderful to me. This, This bill was never about anything but the kids. So we do have a good compromise that should be released later today that allows for the inclusion that we need, that allows for all people who want to participate to feel welcome to do so, but still protects the fairness for our women athletes. Can, can you talk to me more about that? What, what are some of these compromises? What will they look like? Will there be uh, maybe a, a third category of competitors or what do you say? 
No, no, no third category. That's that's not something that we're prepared to do right now. And, and there's a lot of concern. Again, this is a very sensitive issue. Um, you don't want anybody in this process to feel like they're being seen as less than, right? It's hard to balance the concerns and needs of one group without taking away the civil rights of another group. And in this case, I believe that's the women's groups whose the civil rights are being infringed upon currently. And so the, the idea that we've come up with is to allow all to try out and be part of a team, perhaps as practice players or actual participators on the team. But if they're to compete as a transgender woman, their scores or their times and their stats, they will not be counted um, so that they don't compete for scholarships. They can be part of the fun. Currently on our basketball team, we have a, that I coach, we have some practice players. So that'll essentially be kind of what, mm. what some of those that want to participate can participate in, how they can get involved. They can be part of the team. They can have the camaraderie that they're seeking and be included, but it'll create a balanced and fair playing field that they won't be competing against biological females for those scholarships and those opportunities to have a state title or a championship underneath them. Interesting. As you and I kicked off this conversation, you mentioned that. You mentioned uh, you know, the, the perceived unfairness uh, and the potential unfairness for competing for those scholarships. You also mentioned uh, safety. Uh, how has safety been uh, addressed as the conversations have continued? Well, one thing we are looking at is ensuring that any contact sport is not one that they will participate in in competition. Again, practicing with with players and their teammates is one thing, but the last thing we want is a soccer player out there getting injured, Um, especially, and and to be frank, in talking with some doctors, anyone that's going through uh, different hormone therapies, their bones, their bodies are a little thrown off. So as a transgender youth is out there on a field, they are also highly susceptible to an injury. So we just want to make sure we're creating somewhere where people feel welcome and safe, but we're not increasing the odds of injuries. Mm. Is, is that list of, of potentially impacted contact sports, is that still forthcoming or do you have a list thus far? It is, is being worked on currently. We hope to have it finalized later this afternoon. All righty. Uh, well, listen, thank you for your time. Thanks for the conversation. Look forward to following the updates on this. We've been speaking with Representative Kira Berkland, who is sponsoring House Bill 302, Preserving Sports for Female Students. The governor recently made it known that in its current form, uh, he wouldn't be able to support this. And we have here thus far learned that there are some tweaks and changes to this piece of legislation, which may uh, make it more palatable to the governor and those who are still yet to vote on it. Representative, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. All righty. Uh, we're going to take a break right now. When we return, uh, as you well know, there's another side to this conversation. Uh, joining me in studio will be Debbie Dejanovic, who just this morning uh, had some important conversations looking at the flip side of this debate. That's coming up next on Live Mike. Welcome back. You just heard before the commercial break a conversation I had with one of Utah's representatives, Representative Kira Berkland. She, a high school basketball referee herself, has this year introduced uh, a piece of legislation called the Preserving Sports for uh, Female Students Act. In it, she would, in its current form, as it has wound its way through the legislature, it would essentially prohibit from competition in high school sports uh, transgender females. So uh, those are individuals who are born uh, biologically male and, uh, you know, through life uh, make a decision to, to transition or uh, you know, identify as a female. 
And this piece of legislation would, again, in its current form, and I'll get to why I'm using that phrase over and over in just a moment, in its current form would uh, preclude those transgender females from competing uh, in high school sports against uh, biological females. Of course, there are two sides to every argument. The House has passed uh, her piece of legislation. Next up would be the Senate. And more importantly, we've heard from Governor Spencer Cox, who just last Thursday said that, again, that phrase, in its current form, this piece of legislation is is unacceptable to him and wouldn't be able to sign his name to it. In the conversation we just had, though, there has been a slight development to this piece of legislation. It's not written on paper yet. It's being worked out through meetings. And uh, by the end of today, at least, it was communicated to us by Representative Berkland. There will be uh, two fundamental changes to this piece of legislation. Number one would deal with uh, scholarships and the eligibility of accomplishments by transgender Females when competing against uh, females in high school sports, they'd be disqualified from consideration for those. That's number one in terms of fairness. And number two, on the safety question, there are discussions happening right now where a list of contact sports, contact uh, sports uh, for women in Utah high school competition would also be off limits for uh, for transgender females. Now, they'd be able to practice and they'd be able to uh, you know, be members of the team, but you know, on the field of competition, uh, the, what's been telegraphed, at least thus far by Representative Berkland, is that there would be uh, a certain list where transgender females uh, would not be uh, competing in those certain contact sports. We don't have that complete list yet. And even bigger, we don't know if these two changes yet will be satisfactory to Governor Cox or the, the senators who still need to vote on this piece of legislation. Uh, Representative Brooklyn did tell me that she has been in contact with the governor and that that contact has been productive. So I guess you could assume maybe that these updates she's delivered are, in fact, uh, satisfactory to the governor. But we don't yet know that. Uh, and what also remains is how uh, organizations who have been against this piece of legislation are reacting to these developments. If they were listening to this conversation now, please call in. You, you've got the number, uh, 801-KSL-TALK. Uh, please uh, join us. Uh, but earlier this morning on Dave and Janovic's program, uh, Debbie and Dave had a, an opportunity uh, to speak with folks on the other side uh, of this issue. Debbie joins me in studio now. D- Debbie, who, with whom did you speak and what did you learn? Well, we spoke with Equality Utah and Sue Robbins, um, who's on the trans Gender Advisory Council for Equality Utah called the show and really enlightened me uh, in a different direction in this conversation. So let me ask you this, Lee. Sure. When you think of this topic, when you see the headlines, what comes to mind? In my mind, my both of my girls played high school softball. Sure. Uh, very, very competitive. One was a pitcher. One was a third baseman. Third base woman? Third baseman. Um, it, what I... Th- pictured was my goodness is is somebody who's six six uh, you know who now identifies as a female going to be at the plate hitting off my five six daughter who can pitch a mean drop ball sure um, and then hitting it down the third baseline at my uh, daughter who played third base for years and was phenomenal phenomenal no this isn't what it's like at all this is what I had in my mind this isn't what it's like at all. And Sue Robbins uh, with Equality Utah really spelled it out for me. Um, and she said, you know, therapy, when uh, prepubescent teens are going through hormone therapy, um, essentially uh, their growth 
is affected and, and, and slowed down. So let's listen to her. We're talking about kindergarten through 12th grade. So probably kindergarten through 6th grade, maybe through 8th grade, is prepubescent kids. And when we look at those, they're basically body neutral to each other. Puberty is where changes potentially come in. And puberty is where we have transgender girls go on hormone blockers, which basically is a pause button and keeps them from going into puberty. So their body stays at that same level. They don't build muscle mass. They don't go through growth, et cetera. So we have this medical standards and we have doctors that perform this and are willing to speak to this that show that we're, you know, we're, we're in fear of these large boys with our girls, and that's not the comparison that we should be doing. But, but I ask, why not? The, the, while I do believe that, the, that you know, the, the prevailing circumstances that develop uh, are, are folks like are, are described by Sue Robbins here and the ones that, uh, that you have described, uh, but, but this type of hormone therapy is not, it's not a requirement uh, for those who identify as transgender females. It's not something that is always necessarily going to be the case. And so while that is, uh, I, I believe, a fact, and I think that there are certainly anecdotal, maybe not prevailing trends, but while there are anecdotal instances of you know very physically imbalanced I- individuals, meaning that these transgender females that are competing against the biological females may have a dramatic physical advantage uh, I, I think that there may be a reason to at least extend this conversation. I want to hear more from doctors and the experts. And I asked uh, Sue Robbins of Equality Utah, uh, would they want to push the pause button on this? And then in the interim, let lawmakers get together with the experts and the public and work through it. Let's see what she said. This policy that's in place, which has not created a problem in Utah, uh, actually has the transgender community being underrepresented in sports. And we're just trying to say, let's pause. You know, we don't have an issue. The reason why this is being pushed forward is to be there in case there's going to be an issue. But we're saying there's many, many years of NCA and Olympic statistics showing that there's not even going to be one. So let's stop and talk and let's be fair to our children there's a fear of being built up by saying male biology and boys, and that doesn't apply in this instance. And Sue's right. I did a lot of research on this. It turns out uh, like the running community is is going in the other direction. I mean, the Boston Marathon, you can run in the category that you identify with, the gender category you identify with. Um, and and the Olympic trials, there's going to be the first transgender female in a marathon in the Olympic trials coming up. Uh, so there's and there are some rules in place and we don't have time to go into sure. all the rules in terms of the hormone levels and that. But we're moving in the other direction in some sports. I'll be curious to see if Representative Berkland is going to be able to get this through the Senate, given the fact that it's just a few days left here in the session. Why not push the pause button? Yeah. Let's take a time out. Let's hear more about this in the interim sessions. 
We'll see. I mean, the the legislative session is 45 days. It's a predictable thing. And this issue has been uh, debated pretty thoroughly uh, across the globe for a number of years. So I uh, I moving at this pace, I don't necessarily think is entirely inappropriate. What I am incredibly anxious to see is how uh, folks from Equality Utah and other uh, organizations of a like mind will respond to these potential changes to this piece of legislation in terms of fairness and safety. Debbie Dejanovic, thank you so much for the conversation. Look forward to many more. Quick break. When we return, we're heading to St. George and Dixie State University. Should the name stand or change? That's next on Live Mike. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.